is something that I've thought about when you watch movies or look at kids on a playground or whatever. You know, their whole lives are sort of involved with their friends. Like those are some of our earliest and most dear and intense relationships that we have, especially if we're not forging romantic relationships at that point. That's kind of everything that we've got. And it really like makes, I feel like it, as a young person, it makes those relationships feel really intense mm-hmm. and extremely important. Mm-hmm. And it feels also as though our gauge for importance of things changes over the course of our lives, especially if we start prioritizing romantic relationships more. Welcome to the Multi-Amory Podcast. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. We believe in looking to the future of relationships, not maintaining the status quo of the past. So whether you're monogamous, polyamorous, swinging casually dating, or if you just do relationships differently, we see you and we're here for you. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're talking about relationship science for your friendships, or Is it friendship science for your relationships? (laughs) We talk a lot on this show about the importance of prioritizing your friendships in addition to your romantic relationships. And so today we're covering some of the research and some techniques for fostering healthier friendships. And these ideas can be used to improve your romantic relationships by building a more solid foundation of communication and admiration for each other. So it works both ways. So y'all got friends? Oh, sure. Yeah. I yeah, got some great got friends. Some friends I guess. <laughs> I'm, sometimes I'm shocked at how great my friends are. And I mean, you too as well. Yeah, I think going through the pandemic and then going through that breakup at the beginning of the year, like really, really highlighted the value of just really good close friendships and close relationships in general. Like, I don't know, I would have gotten through all that stuff without them, you know? Mm-hmm. 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 So here's why I want to talk about this today. I think that a lot of us really struggle to make and keep friends as an adult. You know, I do feel that like once you're out of school, whether that's high school or once you're out of university, and if you're not going to, let's say, a workplace where you're around people all the time or where it's people that you want to be friends with at all, Mm -hmm. there's just not a lot of opportunities presented to us to make friends in the way that we've been used to making friends up to that point. Like when you're seven years old and you just like walk up to someone in the playground, you're like, let's be friends. And you're like, great, cool. And then you're friends (laughs) for like the next 10 years. We don't do that so much anymore. And so I really wanted to talk about just different ways to think about our friendships and caring for our friendships. Because unfortunately, I think that the way that we're sort of, for lack of a better term, trained when we're children is that friendship is a little bit of this very accidental and sort of passive process, Hmm. right? Hmm. Like your friends just kind of happen to, you didn't necessarily go seek them out the way that we bring this intentionality to finding a romantic partner. Yeah. There's this idea of I'm looking for a romantic partner. I'm going to ask them out or I'm going to hope that they ask me out. There's sort of a, like a structure, sort of a formality to it. Can you go on a blind friend date? I think that's a really interesting idea. Well, I guess people Uh, sort of do that with parties, right? Where it's like, oh, I'm going to invite this friend from over here and this friend from over here. And I think they'll really get along well with each other. But we don't Mm -hmm. call it a blind date with a friend necessarily. Not really. 
Yeah. I mean, I have, I have come across some of that where it's just, I actually just did this a couple months ago for some friends of Dedeker and mine and another friend of mine where I was having a conversation with one of them. I was like, you know what? You share this interest with this other friend. I should put you in touch. And then they went out and, you know, had a dinner together and had a great time. So, so it, it does happen sometimes. It's almost like, Maybe less of a blind date and more of like the the village matchmaker, but <laughs> but for friendships, <laughs> yeah, that'd be I nice like if that. we had more of those for friendships. That'd be cool, actually. Totally, yeah, yeah. The, actually, that'd be pretty cool. Uh, a, a friend maker, mm, yeah. yeah. Make a friend, friend maker. maker, make me a friend. Yeah. Find Perfect. me a pal. Get me a. Ooh, that's bud. good. No, that's good. Friend maker, friend maker. Find me a pal. I Love like it. it. That's good. Okay, well, we'll start workshopping that version of the musical. But, <laughs> but anyway, you know, I, I do think that a lot of us can relate to the struggle of making and keeping friends, especially as you become an adult, as you take on more, perhaps work obligations, family obligations, caregiving obligations, things like that. I do also think that sometimes if you are queer or if you're non-monogamous, there can be some particular struggles in making friends. I know I certainly struggle with sometimes making friends. I like I sometimes get intimidated, especially considering them like I have this whole podcast and I've written a book and my entire career right now is based off of talking about non-monogamy. And so sometimes when I'm out in the world connecting with people that maybe I'd want to be friends with, I don't know because sometimes it feels like there's a good chance if they learn that about me, they could be just like so disgusted. Hmm. And so scared and so turned off that they wouldn't even want to be friends. At least that's what I run into. Yeah, either could be that. It also could be if someone finds out you're non-monogamous or like that you're bisexual or pansexual, there's this assumption of, oh, well, I got to keep my distance because maybe they want to date me. Hmm. And that's not what I'm interested in. There could also be that struggle of maybe you're not out about it. And this is a friend who also works at the same place as you and you kind of have you on your side have to have this guard up a little bit of, well, I can't fully let them in. I can't fully talk to them about this, or at least not, not yet, you know, not until I have some more trust there. And then also for a lot of us, especially when we're newer to polyamory and we're finding polyamory groups and things like that, that maybe that's also serving the function of our only social group. And if the only thing I really have in common with these people is that we all do non-monogamy, that's not it doesn't give us a lot to go off of necessarily, especially if the community is not one where we get to talk about other interests. So I can't even find out if, oh, you also like Call of Duty games or you know Magic the <laughs> Gathering, or you also like you know historical reenacting or whatever it is, right? That that could be hard because just being non-monogamous is not enough or might not be enough of a shared interest to actually foster a, a real ongoing friendship. Well, maybe this is a bit of serendipity. I just got a text. I think it's a wrong number, but this text (laughs) says, Hi, Michael. My friends and I are going fishing in my yacht next weekend. Are you with us? I'm going to say yes. Wow. That (laughs) That sounds like a blast. (laughs) I mean, not the fishing part for me, but going on a yacht sounds like like a blast. I am Michael. Where where are we meeting? I'll bring a six pack. (laughs) That's amazing. New friends. Easy. Amazing. (laughs) And hopefully they're not on the other side of the country. I guess I can look up their area code. That's true. (laughs) Also, I think something that a lot of us struggled with recently is just the pandemic and how, you know, if you're not in close proximity with a person or if maybe, you know, you are and you just simply haven't been able to see them because of the pandemic, because of lockdowns, because of personal risk factors, things along those lines. 
I think a lot of people out there are losing contact with friends and acquaintances just simply because shit's been tough and it's been challenging to get together and not everybody wants to do that. I mean, I'm going up to visit you all this weekend and seeing some family members that I haven't seen in like five years in Seattle. And that's because of you know, I was in China and then the pandemic happened and all of this stuff. And it, it it's challenging sometimes to just be able to see people and really connect with them in the same way that perhaps you once did. And, you know, it, some people do think that there is an opportunity here to sort of trim back on your social obligations or reprioritize or refocus on things that matter more to you or maybe friendships that you want to foster a closer connection with. Um, So maybe that's not a bad thing, although for others, it can really instill a sense of loneliness and isolation because of what the pandemic has kind of forced us to do in a lot of ways. Uh, I think that this is also important to talk about because I do think there is a really important area of overlap between our, our what we bring to our friendships and what we bring to our romantic relationships. And I'm always really interested in that interplay. And so, for instance, if you're in a romantic or sexual relationship with someone where it doesn't feel like the friendship between the two of you is very strong, and maybe you're okay with that, you know, maybe that's something that you don't necessarily need in a romantic or sexual connection, like that's totally fine, or you may not be okay with that you know, that could be the source of some of the strife in the relationship or some dissatisfaction in the relationship is if you feel like this person's not even really being a good friend to me. And we covered this a little bit in episode 374 when we were talking about relationship escalations that if you're choosing to get romantically or sexually involved with someone where there's already an established friendship. And I think it's interesting to think about these things of how do we still foster those, I guess, those good qualities of our connection that are already there, even as we choose to escalate? I think that it's also important to think about supporting our friendships, in particular for non-monogamous folks, if you're someone who is navigating a friendship with a metamor, if that's something that both of you want. Like that's another, for a lot of people, a very new social structure and a new relationship. And sometimes people feel a little bit confused about like, ah, oh, like, I want to be friend. I don't know how. I'm not sure, you know. And so again, this is another area to think about skills and ways to support these particular friendships. And then lastly, I'm always interested in, especially for those folks who are relationship anarchists or who ascribe to relationship anarchist ideals, how do we actually put those ideals into practice? Instead of just espousing our ideals and, you know, often criticizing other people for not living up to those ideals. But like, how do we actually operationalize that so that we are caring for all of our relationships, not just prioritizing caring for the romantic and sexual ones? So that was all all the things I was thinking about (laughs) as I was creating this particular episode. Yeah. And, And so on the subject of relationship anarchy, let's talk just briefly about what we mean when we talk about this distinction between friends and partners. So we generally tend to take more of a relationship anarchy stance on this, which basically means that our friendships and romantic partnerships, rather than treating those as two inherently different things, we're looking more at what are the individual traits or you know parts of that relationship that we have, right? About are we physical with each other? How much time do we spend together? 
do we share finances? How much do we plan our future together? How intimate are we in the way we talk to each other? You know, lots of different things like that. And looking at it less of, well, if you're a friend, then you have all of these and you don't have these. And if you're a partner, you have these other ones and you don't have these other ones. We tend to (laughs) encourage people to not have so tight of a grip on this idea of, oh, if you have this label, you have to be this way. And if you have this label, you have to be another way. And then even if you don't identify with relationship anarchy, it's still really important. And a lot of people in in conventional relationship advice will say this too, that it's important to not just abandon all of your friendships or deprioritize all those relationships just for the sake of your new hot, sexy, romantic relationship, but that, you know, your, your friendships are also really important and should be sustained and cared for and prioritized. So essentially with this episode, in terms of that distinction, it's less about, oh, well, this applies to this kind of relationship and this applies to the other. But sort of the whole point of this is looking at how we can bring things from those different types of relationships and and look at which ones can help us build any kind of relationship. If you want more information and more discussion about relationship anarchy and different ways of, of looking at different types of relationships. Uh, We have episode 336 on queer platonic relationships, episode 150, way back, where we cover the Relationship Anarchy Manifesto, and then more recently, episode 339, where we covered the Relationship Anarchy Smorgasbord, which is a way of looking at which pieces might be involved in each of your relationships, regardless of what kind of label you might put on them. So now we're going to get into a bit of a research section of this episode about the care and keeping of your friendships. And first, we're going to talk about obstacles because there are a lot out there. I think, as you said, as you age, it can be challenging to get into situations where you even have the opportunity to make new friends unless you're very intentional about it. But there are certain obstacles that may even get in the way of doing that. Now, this is from a 2020 research paper, which was published in Personality and Individual Differences. This research paper is called What Prevents People from Making Friends, colon, A Taxonomy of Reasons. Yeah, I really like that title, almost like it's a question and answer, where someone asks you, what prevents people from making friends? And you're just like, so many things. (laughs) A taxonomy of reasons. Indeed. I was thinking more of a, let me count the ways. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. And this is grouped into six broad categories, which include introversion, fear of rejection, pragmatic reasons like a health problem, for example, low trust, lack of time, and being too picky. So, yeah, all of those things may make building and creating new friendships difficult in general. That's really interesting. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. The low trust, I find that to be an interesting one. Perhaps yeah. just it's hard to trust people, especially upon meeting them. Oh, yeah. Well, some of the examples they gave were people who identify as like I'm a cautious person or I'm a suspicious person or I have a lack of trust due to bad past experiences mm-hmm. or I mm-hmm. feel that other people approach me with an ulterior motive other than friendship. I think that's that's huge and really common for a lot of people. So this is a quote from University of Maryland psychologist Marissa Franco. They say sociologists have kind of identified the ingredients that need to be in place for us to make friends organically, and they are continuous, unplanned interaction and shared vulnerability. As we become adults, we have less and less environments where those ingredients are at play. 
kind of what we talked about before. I think that's very, very true. And yeah, it's something that I've thought about when you watch like movies or look at kids on a playground or whatever, they're, you know, their whole lives are sort of involved with their friends. Like those are some of our earliest and most dear and intense relationships that we have, especially if we're not forging romantic relationships at that point. That's kind of everything that we've got. And it really like makes, I feel like it, as a young person, it makes those relationships feel really intense mm-hmm. and extremely mm-hmm. important. And it feels also as though our gauge for importance of things changes over the course of our lives, especially if we start prioritizing romantic relationships more. Yeah, I, I feel like the part that gets me is this continuous unplanned interaction. Exactly. That's the part I I keep thinking about here. I've got all those obstacles already. I got the introversion. I got the fear of rejection. (sighs) I got the low trust. I got the lack of time. I've got the being too picky. Like I can check off every single one of those boxes. But yeah, the continuous unplanned interaction where I think especially when you become an adult and as you take on more obligations, like you start to live by a schedule, right? Mm -hmm. And so unfortunately for so many of us, our only option for connecting with our friends is like, let's pick a date six weeks from now yep. where we'll get coffee and, yeah. and finally catch up. And I, and I would suppose that that's better than nothing, right? Like that it's better mm-hmm. it doesn't than... doesn't feel organic. Yeah, yeah. But it's not quite the same like when you have a work environment where you're like working with people that you like and you see them all the time, like it's continuous interaction, but it's also unplanned. We're not having mm-hmm. to constantly arrange when we actually see each other. And that's like, that's the big hangout where I'm just like, these other obstacles I can do myself work, but but this one seems a little bit harder to surmount. My understanding of this, and I'm curious if you two have the same understanding, is that it's less about the time that we're interacting is unplanned and more that the interaction itself is not planned. It's not like mm-hmm. we're here to have a meeting about such and such, but more we're ha- like maybe we did schedule this six weeks ahead of time. But now that we're here together, it's unplanned. We're just hanging out doing whatever. I think that's maybe the more important ingredient. So so don't despair too much. That at least that's my read of this. Yeah. I think when you're, you know, in your twenties or in college too, you may just go and like hang out with a friend for a while mm-hmm. and play video games or just chill with them. And and again, as as obligations become larger and larger, if you have a family or if you have ailing parents or something, it can just be really difficult to do that and have that kind of unstructured, unplanned time with another human. Yeah, I think that when we're planning those get-togethers, that's maybe something to keep in mind. Yeah. that I know that I've had some friends who, if we're planning to hang out, it's like we need to have a clear idea of what are we doing? Mm-hmm. Like, what, what what are we doing together? Not just, I don't want to just sit around and not know what to say because, you know, I'm sure some of that, that anxiety or fear or whatever can come up. And I've done that myself too, where it's like, okay, let's plan an activity. I don't want to just have this unplanned time, right? Like, let's be yeah. doing a thing, especially if it's a group of people and not just one other person. But maybe there's some room to see if you could kind of say, okay, maybe we're doing an activity, but it's not something that's going to take all of our attention. So we have some unstructuredness going along with it, right? So maybe that might help influence what board games we propose or what you know activities we're going to do together with people so that we also have some of that unstructured, unplanned interaction. Another piece of research we want to talk about is Dunbar's number. And we've talked about this on the show in the past. And if you've ever heard that thing of, you know, supposedly the maximum number of stable relationships that people are able to cognitively maintain is 150. If you've ever heard that before, that's Dunbar's number. Now, 
as this research has gone on, though, it's been refined to not just say, well, there's this one number of people we can know, but it's more broken down into, you, you could think of it like concentric circles, where in our innermost circle is ourself and maybe like a particular very, very close relationship, you know, like a, a partner or maybe a child or, you know, some, something that's a little more of an intimate relationship. Well, they put that number in that like most innermost circle at 1.5. So... Like one and yourself a half and half of a human. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Got it. Well, I I will say I appreciate the one point five because at least it's not trying to imply oh, only one person, just your romantic partner, can get that close to you. Mm, I'm like, I okay, see, yeah. I'm I'm gonna hang on to that point five as right. my non-monogamy <laughs> visibility. And there you go. Sure. Sure, that's good. So, so if you imagine that, and then outside of that is your close friends, which they put around five. And, you know, those are the people who, you know, are those shoulder to cry on type friendships, the one that'll drop anything for you and you'll drop anything for them. The world's falling apart. You know, those are your really, really close friends. And what's important is that each of these circles includes the circle inside of it, right? So those really intimate 1.5 relationships is included in this five of your really close connections. And then outside of that, including those five is then your 15, which are sort of your core social group, your main social companions. They provide most of your kind of fun time hanging out. They're maybe the people you would trust to take care of your child if you needed them to or something like that. And then outside of that, it's 50, which is your you know friends enough that you'd invite them over for a weekend barbecue or maybe your Oscar party or whatever it is. And then 150 which is that Dunbar number we've heard of before, is like, these are the people that you might expect to see or invite to, you know, weddings or funerals or those kinds of bigger events. Maybe they're friends and you'd hang out if you had the opportunity, but you're not as actively spending constant time with them. And then they've got groups that go even outside of this too, like your, your 500 acquaintances and then 1,500 people whose names you probably know and then around 5,000 faces we might recognize. You know, so kind of, it goes and goes and goes. But I guess the point here is that it's not that 150 is just, that's it for any kind of relationship, but more, we have different amounts of capacity for different intimacies of relationships and that ideally we'd have these. So you may be wondering, thinking about Dunbar's number, do I need 150 friends? Do I oh need boy. 50 friends? Do Can't I even imagine. One and a half friends? How many friends <laughs> do I actually need in life? <laughs> so it is funny. Um, I didn't include uh, this particular study, but just in passing, I was reading, I think it was an article in The Atlantic that interviewed some sociologist who was saying that basically to answer this question, we get the most bang for our buck as in like the most benefits when we go from zero friends to one friend. <laughs> that like That's the the biggest influence on long-term health outcomes, mental health, resiliency, all those sort of things is really just going from zero people that are that close to me to one person that is that close to me, which makes sense. And mm -hmm. I suppose that at least one of the benefits of living in this very uh, strongly mononormative culture is that it's at least encouraging a lot of people to do that, right? And that supports a lot of the research findings around like, you know, for instance, I don't know, a lot of the research that's around like married people live longer and, and things like that is that it could potentially be pointing to this of 
we need at least one friend, right? Right, and that and that that's the only way a lot of us have permission to have a close friend is to marry them. Yeah, is to be married. I feel Let's like that's kind of a patriarchal ideal that like the only you know friend that a guy is going to have is his wife, essentially, and not oh. to really foster close oh, friendships yeah. with anyone else. That's yeah, we problem. could do a whole episode just on that mm-hmm. issue where, yeah, a lot of like straight men are socialized into that idea of like you can essentially kind of you can have your 500 acquaintances and then your one close friend. And that's usually your your female partner. Yep. But we're not going to talk about that right now. We're talking about how many friends do I actually need? So some research suggests at least one for the best impact. Mm-hmm. However, it's probably going to go beyond just one that in order to live the most fulfilled life, we're going to need more close friendships. And so, again, pulling from this interview with uh, sociologist Marissa Franco, they talk about how, again, a lot of this is subjective. There's not a lot of studies that have specifically tackled the question of how many friends people should be aiming for. But somewhere between three and six close friends seems to be the sweet spot. What do you think y'all have three or six close friends? Well, it's going to depend I on how right we're now. defining close friends, but I do yeah. think yes. Yeah, I do too. For yes. sure. Everybody. I think I have more than that. Whoa. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> yeah. not. I haven't always, though, at, at different points in my life, right? I, really? I do feel like I have that right now. And I think some kind of fluctuate coming in and out of that very close circle or more just our pal we hang out sometimes. But yeah, it it has changed, but I have found that it, it's there is something nice about having close friends in that range, right? Where you feel like it's not so many that I can't manage it, but it's also enough that I feel like I have that support and also a little bit of variety in my close friends. Mm-hmm. Again, we have to give the caveats that often this is an area where it's difficult to study because this is so subjective. What I count as a close friendship mm-hmm. may be mm-hmm. different from what you count as a close friendship, and the benefits of that may also land on us both very differently. And so often in this research, people give broad ranges or scales, you know, because it's really hard still to really zero in on what's the difference between three close friends versus four close friends versus right. 10 close friends at this particular point in time. So we're going to take a quick break. In the second half of the episode, we're going to be talking about actual things that you can be doing to foster your friendships and to care for your existing friendships as well as some things to think about if you're interested in making new friendships. But first, we're going to talk about the ways that you can support this show. Um, The best way you can support the show first and foremost is just by listening to our sponsors. It does really help us to be able to continue making this show. Or you can learn more about our Patreon communities as well. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply. 
So we've got some great research now under our belts, but how do we do it? How do we use it? How do we operationalize this to, to use fancy words? So how do we actually care for our friendships as we're starting to try to figure out how to build them? Yeah, so it's interesting if you just Google this about how to make friends or how to keep friends. There's a lot of different approaches, a lot of different schools of thought. I think all of them probably pretty valid. You know, I think that the stuff that we've covered already of maybe examining the obstacles that exist within yourself and exist within your life that are preventing you from making friends or connecting more deeply with your friends, that's a great place to start. But I want to talk about what I've been thinking about and using for a while now, which is actually based on the sound relationship house model that is from the Gottman Institute, who we do like to reference a lot on this show. So what I've been thinking about and using that's I found really helpful in thinking about caring for my friendships has been based on the sound relationship house model that was created by the Gottman Institute. Now, I think about this a lot because I'm talking to my clients about this a lot. You know, I did the Gottman Institute couples therapy training. And so when I'm working with new couples, I'm talking about this stuff all the time. And so basically, from their research, they found that the quality of the friendship in a relationship dictates how well the romantic relationship is is going to go. Imagine that. And so they created this model slash theory. They kind of go back and forth between whether they call it a model or a theory <laughs> uh, called the sound relationship house. And they usually put it in like a cute little diagram. It looks like a little house. And you imagine like all these different floors of the house. You know, It's sort of akin to Maslow's hierarchy of needs where we have like this foundation at the bottom and then we work up toward the top. But basically we're looking at the first three levels of that model. There's seven levels total, but we're just looking at the first three levels close to the foundation because that's what they found corresponds just to what goes into good, healthy friendships. So those three levels are love maps, fondness and admiration, and turning towards instead of away, also known as bids for connection. So we're going to dive into all three of those more in depth in just a moment. But I just found that this has become such a useful framework for me for thinking about not just my romantic relationships, but also my friendships. It's really helped highlight to me how fostering friendships isn't just this passive process. And so when I'm not sure what to do to support a friend, or if there's someone in my friend group where like, oh, I, I want to have a deeper friendship with them, and I don't know where to start, I found that this is a great framework to start thinking about these things. Again, this is not the only framework that you can use. This is not the only tool that you can use. But for me, this has been really, really helpful. And remember that with all of this, all of these tactics can be scaled to whatever level is appropriate to the relationship that's in front of you today. And also a lot of these will support your romantic relationships as well. So with that, let's dive in to these first three levels of the sound relationship house. The first is love maps, which just makes me think of Love Shack. So, love maps. Oh, and that's like building a love shack. Oh, there you and go. This is the foundation, yeah. right? Oh my gosh, perfect. <laughs> I'm sure the Gottman's thought of that. I don't know. Love maps essentially are also cognitive room. So, in layman's terms, it essentially is literally the amount of room in your brain that is dedicated to knowing your partner's inner world. So, what does an inner world mean? It essentially is talking about their stresses, what's going on with their closest friends what they may be hoping for, what's on their mind about their workday tomorrow, also their personal histories, if we want to get a little bit more granular. 
there are unique strengths and challenges. So many different things. There's a lot going on. There are a lot to unpack. And not only knowing these things, but also updating the map by asking the other person open-ended questions and not only asking the questions, but caring and remembering the answer. Ooh, that's very specific. <laughs> that's an important piece. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 I, I, it, this reminds me of something. Last week, I was having a really tough time and I was thinking, I was kind of puttering around the house, being pissed that my partner wasn't asking me how I was doing. And I was like, wait a minute, he doesn't necessarily know my inner thoughts like right at this particular time. So I feel as though I need to update and kind of lay out like exactly what's going on in my inner world. And I think that that tended to sort of color our interactions after the fact in a different way because he was, you know, aware of my inner world and my love map, I guess, or what was going on specifically within me. So just putting that out there that that sometimes if you want your partner to know what's going on, you have to, you know, be the one to to step first and ask mm-hmm. and talk because they're not necessarily going to know what's going on in your head. Right. And I also just wanted to point out that, again, I think we're thinking about this a little bit in the romantic context where I've definitely been there before where I'm like, oh, I'm having a bad day and this person isn't curious about me or or remembering what was going on with my day and things like that. But like we want that in our friendships as well. Like we want like like it's also good to be curious in this same way. And I think that if you do sit and think about your close friendships chances are good that you actually probably have a fairly robust map in your brain of Mm -hmm. this information about them. Or maybe you might find that this needs to be updated. Definitely. And Emily, I think you bring up a great point with your story too, that I want to be willing to share with my partner or my friend and kind of let them know what's going on with me. But also on the other side, being aware of, I should check back in. I can't always just assume that their state is constant and that I always know it, right? So that, that updating piece, which is why I actually, to be honest, I don't love that they use the term love maps for it because yes, maps change over time, but generally not as much as I think a love map is, is supposed to change and how much, because they mention you know, knowing what they're thinking about for their workday tomorrow, for example, or what projects they've got going on. That's not something that changes at the pace of a map changing. That's like... <laughs> We're getting real literal here, Jace. Yeah, so do you think yeah. it's like they're like the love feed that's yeah. constantly updating? <laughs> yeah, but then feed implies to me nonsense that goes by and you forget <laughs> it as soon as you read it, right? So I don't that's know. True. Somewhere in between those, we'll have to work on this. Like the love, like like watching the ocean. Like the love, the ebb and tide, the flow, the love weather report. Okay. Okay. We're getting like the forecast. Love love forecast. forecast. Ooh, I like that. (laughs) The forecast for your love. (laughs) So, yeah, I think both of us kind of touched on some stuff like what does this look like in practice in terms of keeping up with one another's love maps, whether it's your partner or a close friend or something along those lines. We talk so much on this show about regular checkups and check-ins, and we're going to say it again because that's super important in terms of this. And that can mean, you know, maybe something that's less structured than our radar, but it could also mean a radar, especially you, you can have radars with your friends, with your significant other, with your roommates, anything along those lines. But just having a time and a place to ask, you know, what's going on with you? How is your inner world? 
Are there any big changes that I need to be made aware of? Stuff like that, just so that you can update each other and really have a better understanding of what's going on with that other person. Yeah, I've found that with just just recently, actually, within the last couple of weeks, I had a couple different like friend dates, you know, ha- hanging out with a friend. One was remote, one was in person. And in both of them, we're playing video games together. And there's that kind of obligatory, hey, so what's new in your life kind of question. But then in both of them, then a little bit later on, we kind of circled back to it again. And that sort of, so you mentioned this thing. What's that been like? Has that been hard? Or, oh, like, is that, are you excited about that project? You know, whatever is appropriate for what we were talking about. But it's like, there was some time made, not just that perfunctory what's going Mm -hmm. on, but no, I do actually want to be invested a little bit. I want to learn a little bit about and actually dedicate some brain space to what I remember you told me before and what you're telling me now. So, and then, you know, remembering to ask about it in the future in those friendships, I think is, is really important. And I do notice that difference when we're having more of those types of conversations or when we're not. Yeah, I I think definitely when we talk about discussing what's going on with each other, it's important to have open-ended questions, not just yes or no questions, and then displaying Mm. curiosity as well. Because a lot of people out there, I think, you know, may feel hurt if you're not asking really what's going on in your day, what's going on in your work, your hobbies, your history, things like that. Now, I will say if somebody is going through a particular challenging time, it may be more difficult for them to ask those questions. And that's something to be aware of. However, you know, if you're having sort of a good back and forth with a friend, make sure that if you would want your friend to know those things about you, that you're also asking them, you know, what's really going on in your inner world. Yeah, I I think I've heard a lot of stories usually about meta relationships, like metamore friendships or relationships where someone felt hurt because their meta didn't display any curiosity whatsoever about them, like didn't ask about their work or ask about their hobbies or ask any follow-up questions. And, And sometimes there's reasons for that, but sometimes people just like don't even realize that that's a thing that actually really affects people or lands on people. And so I do think that if you're someone who wants to foster a meta relationship and your meta also wants that, that this is an important thing to think about of making sure that you are bringing that curiosity, asking those open-ended questions. So we're going to move on to our next level of our house. So we poured our foundation of love maps and now we're putting in the piers or the building, the basement. I don't know quite how this metaphor works, but the next level up is fondness and admiration. So what this means is basically building a culture of appreciating each other and admiring each other. This is developing the mental habit of scanning, not for your partner's mistakes or your friend's mistakes, but instead learning to be more receptive to noticing the good things that they do or the positive aspects of them that you feel fondness toward. And interestingly, this is one that I think for a lot of us, we tend to have an easier time doing with our friends than we do for our partners, at least partners that we've had for a while, right? When we are in the NRE phase, it's impossible to see any faults uh, a lot of the time. But, you know, once you've been in a relationship for a while, especially if you live together, it can be really easy to focus on just the, the, the mistakes, the habits they have that annoy you those sorts of things, or maybe the way that you think they're reflecting badly on you in with your friends or whatever, right? It's There's a lot culturally encouraging us to look for those negatives. And with friends, 
there tends to be less of that. Again, it really depends on the friendship and the relationship. But in either case, this is important to be aware of because it's it's a habit, right? It's almost like a, a muscle or a skill. And if you just get used to only looking for negatives or things to complain about to someone else, for example, you're not building a very strong foundation mm. for that house of friendship or relationship, whatever. Or the love the, the, the love shack, shack, yes. Love, love the shack. love friend shack. Love friend shack, yes. Uh, right, so so it's about building that habit of how you do that. And so how do you do it, though? How, how do we do this? <laughs> and be, because I guess the other part of this is it's not just observing and looking for those things, but also developing a culture of this in your relationship, whether that's a friendship or whatever, is expressing it, right? Is, is telling them these things. And that's the part where I think some of us can feel uncomfortable doing that with friends, right? I, I don't know how you two feel about this, but it's like, it's easier for me to just randomly tell a romantic partner, oh, you know, I think you're, you're so cute. Or, wow, you're, you're so cool. I like talking to you about things. And it's, that just feels weirder with friends, I guess. And I think this probably depends how you're socialized, but we might have to find different ways to express it. I do think gender socialization comes into play with some of this because I, mm. I think that like, quote unquote, girlfriends, gal friends, gal pals. Oh my God, you yeah. are a queen. Yeah. Oh my God, yes, <laughs> you look so hot. Oh my God. You know, like the, it's a little bit more socially acceptable to say those kind of things, maybe more so than if you don't have that particular socialization. You know, it's funny that, so one of my coworkers who I've only met once in person, right? But we're on video calls fairly often and probably not coincidentally, one of the ones that I feel most like, yeah, I'd like to just hang out with this guy does occasionally randomly if we, you know, if a client doesn't show up to a call and we've got some extra free time, we'll ask like, hey, what's going on in your life? Or, hey, just wanted to let you know, like you've been doing a great job lately. I really appreciated your help mm. with this or just those like little random bits of appreciation and also, I guess, love map checking in. That's uh, that even if it's just for like a minute, right? And it's not like I wouldn't say we have this really close friendship or anything, but he's one of the people I'm most likely to think, yeah, he could he could be a friend. So Aww, I like that. So that's cool. It just I guess just to point out that there's other ways you can do it. It doesn't have to be so gushy necessarily. It can just be, hey, you know, you've been doing a great job or or um, you know, wow, you know what? I, I really had a lot of fun playing this game and I wasn't sure that I would. Like, I really appreciated playing that with you. Like, thanks for for showing mm. me how to do it. Or, Not, you know, just yeah. something looking for, or if you are playing a game, maybe, uh, I guess, depending on how competitive the game is. But <laughs> even if it is competitive, you know, saying something like, wow, dang, that was really good. Like, you, you're really good at that. Or, this is great. <laughs> You've gotten a lot better at this or something like that. Um. And it's just like congratulations on successes they have too. Yeah. Even if maybe you feel a little bit of jealousy about their promotion or something like that, or that they got a new job, that sort of like, heck yeah, of course, like you're, you're awesome. It makes sense that, you know, that would work out or, or maybe it's, they're talking to you about a relationship they have. It's like, well, you know, I think you're great. I'm sure your partner will too. Or just those little things that you can kind of toss away as just sort of casual and fun but do have an impact on, on developing this culture of fondness and, and appreciation. Just to give a couple practical examples that you could even try out for yourself, it could even just be something after you hang out with a friend or a metamor or whoever of just some kind of a follow-up afterward, like, 
thanks so much for taking time to meet up last minute. I know you're juggling a lot right now, but having coffee together just put me in a better mood. Or, you know, kind of like I said, hey, you know what? I had a lot of fun hanging out. Like, thanks so much. We should do it again. Even just those little things are meaningful. Or especially if you're talking to a metamore and you want to have a more positive relationship there, it could be something like, hey, I really appreciate you taking care of Dedeker while she's been sick, right? You know, whatever it is, whoever our shared partner is. You can just, thank everybody for taking care of me. While well, I'm yes, sick, that too. That's true. Yeah. Of whether I'm dating them or not. <laughs> yeah. Right. But um, just expressing that little bit of appreciation and sort of developing this culture of I'm focusing not on the parts where I feel, you know, jealous of you or maybe competitive with you or something, but just, you know, this should be something honest and real. But hey, you know, I really appreciate you taking time to help them out while they've been sick. That, you know, that helps a lot. Just something like that can do actually quite a bit to foster more of this culture because it goes both ways, right? When you do that, it also makes it so that other person feels more safe to be able to appreciate you as well. So we've had the love map slash love forecast, and we've talked about fondness and admiration. And so now the third level of this is turning towards instead of away. This is also known as bids for connection. Now, we talked about bids in episode 168, our Communication Hacks Booster Pack episode. If you want more of a deep dive into bids, you can go there. But basically what this refers to is we have these little interactions that happen often dozens of times a day. And especially if you happen to live with someone, whether that's a partner, a roommate, a friend, we have these little interactions. And usually there's some sort of request for a moment of attention or connection or support from the other person. Now, when I'm explaining this to the couples that I'm working with, I'll give them the example of sometimes the bid can be as big and as obvious as your partner coming home from work and saying, I had a crap day at work today. I would love for us to sit down and knock back a glass of wine and and I can vent and talk it out. And right, that's a very big, obvious bid for I need mm. your attention and your connection and your support. Or it could be as small as your partner comes in and sits on the couch and just heaves a big sigh and that's it. And it's not big and it's not obvious. It's a lot more subtle. Or it can be as low stakes and as silly as just like, oh, wow, I saw this wild YouTube video today. You know, check it out, right? And it's like <laughs> these, these little, little bits of connection and attention and things like that. And so, of course, we can respond to those in very different ways. We can accept it as in turn toward it, or we can totally miss it and ignore it, like not even realize that this person wanted something from us or not even realize that, you know, there's stakes to responding or not responding to this, mm -hmm. or we can reject it. You know, we can turn against that bid by, you know, usually the way this looks in, in romantic relationships, sometimes we can attack or push away our partner for even making the bid in the first place. And basically what the Gottman Institute research found is that the quality of, of a relationship is directly affected by how skillful each person is at recognizing and responding to bids for connection. So this is super, super important. I know for me, once I found out about bids, it completely changed the way that I looked at interactions, not only with my partners, but also with my friends as well. Absolutely. Because I, yeah. I think that it's so easy to get wrapped up in your own shit, basically, <laughs> like like your own mood or your own to-do list or what you're focusing on in that particular moment. And you don't even realize that 
times when your partner or your friend is reaching out to you and you're ignoring it, that that actually does have an impact. Mm. And it's not an impact that maybe happens in one interaction or two interactions. Often this is built over time that when people learn, oh, you have a tendency to reject my bids or, oh, you have a tendency to accept my bids, it it also changes how much they want to turn towards or away from you as well. So Mm. the way that this looks in real life is, for instance, when a friend sends to you a YouTube video, a meme, an article, a song, it means actually maybe taking the time to read or to listen or to view it or to respond to it. Even if you can't write in that moment, it could still be like, oh, wow, this looks really cool. I'm going to listen to this later or I'm going to watch you this later. You are really good at this, by the way. Oh, have well, we gotten better? Because I feel like <laughs> internally at Multiamory, we have started to use this language with each other where one of us will be like, I want to show you this YouTube video and then no one responds and you'll be like, take my bid. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. You're not Watch taking my now. bid. No, I mean, I meant all of us, not just you, Emily. I, yeah, I know. Like we've think, adopted that. I think generally, yeah, we've, we do a good job at taking each other's bids for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's not just about responding to the stuff that your friends send you, but it could also be responding to requests to meet up or to have a catch up. And an important part of this is even if the scheduling isn't going to work out, it may mean making the effort to still follow up and follow through, like recognizing this was a bid for connection when this person reached out to me to ask to get a beer or to get coffee. And so it's important for me to still respond to that, even if it's like, oh gosh, we're not going to be free for the next six weeks, but still following through on that to make sure that that bid is actually met. Uh, It also means communicating clearly with someone about what you're needing or wanting. I think that's like the example that you gave, Emily, of, oh, my partner's not picking up on this particular bid, but maybe I just need to communicate it in a more clear way. And, you know, again, we don't want to stray into the territory of assuming that our friends or partners can just read minds. And again, this doesn't necessarily mean that you're obligated to say yes to every single invite or every single conversation it doesn't mean you have to say yes to every single silly YouTube video that somebody sends you. The research found that the healthiest relationships were ones where people responded to each other's bids about 80% of the time. And again, that was focusing on romantic relationships. I would be willing to bet that for friendships and close friendships, percentage is probably pretty high as well. Hmm. Yeah. And something I, I guess I would point out with this too is that being aware of it can really help a lot because one... I find it helps me if I do feel a little bit slighted by someone's lack of response that even just having a label for it of like, they missed my bid, they didn't realize, maybe I'll try to make it more clear in the future or or maybe even we just talk about it at some point. And then on the other side, it's that when someone, I find this comes up for me a lot, if someone offers to do something for me or give me something, you know, it could be as little as like, oh, hey, do you want a a, a mint? You know, when they're getting one out for themselves. Right. As a super tiny example or, you know, oh, hey, you know, I could I could uh, grab one of these for you, too, if you want. That sometimes that's not just them going out of their way to do something for you because they think you need it. But it could be a bid for connection. And I would argue actually most of the time it is. And so it's not like, oh, no, 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 don't put yourself out. Sometimes saying, oh, wow, thank you so much is the more Mm. effective way to add to that connection because it's about the bid and not so much about the actual thing. I've just found that that's helped me to to be more aware of those little things and realize that they actually have some significance and that someone doing something nice for you is sometimes building that relationship and not you somehow cashing in points and, and taking away from that relationship to accept them. We have some final thoughts. 
especially if you are interested in finding friends out there or questioning, like, how do I even go about doing that? Or should I be looking for more friends? Should I be looking for more intimate relationships? Marissa Franco, a psychologist and author of the forthcoming book Platonic, How the Science of Attachment Can Help You Make and Keep Friends, recommends starting with a fairly obvious but powerful question, which is, do I feel lonely? Are are you even, you know, interested in finding other friends? Uh, Are you feeling like, hey, I would like to spend some more quality time with people and I'm not really getting that right now? Also, are there parts of your identity that feel restricted, which is a really interesting question, especially in the context of non-monogamy, because we talk so much about how being around different people and being close with different people can bring out and really, you know, foster more uh, unique sides and facets of ourselves that we may not have with only one person. And I think that's a really good point. I mean, if you're only ever around your romantic partner or one, you know, one romantic partner or one friend or whatever, you may only get sort of one side of yourself that gets to express in a certain way. And if you have the opportunity to go beyond that and meet other people and have different types of interactions, then you can really, you know, get all of those different facets of you moving and jiving and stuff (laughs) like that. Yeah, I think those are two great questions to start with to just evaluate. Is this something I need to be worried about at all right now or thinking about at all? If you're intimidated by the idea of making brand new friends, you're totally not alone. A lot of people feel that way. And also a lot of people are in situations where it's hard to go out and make brand new friends. And I think going through all of our various individual pandemic situations definitely made that a lot harder for a lot of people. Um, it can be easier to just choose to step up your investment with existing friendships rather than trying to start from scratch. Or maybe just thinking about what existing friendships you have and thinking about how can I incorporate these things into these friendships? How can I start thinking about love maps or thinking about expressing appreciation and acknowledgement or thinking about responding to this person's bids for connections more frequently, that that can also really pay some dividends. And so if that feels true for you, that the idea of trying to connect to new people right now is a little too scary, but I like the idea of connecting deeper with the people that are already in my life, definitely lean into that. And then if you ask yourself these questions and you realize that you do want to make more friends, to don't just leave it up to chance. You know, randomly making a friend or randomly meeting a partner is great, but it's less effective than being proactive about it. And the trick is to find a way to be proactive that works for you, for your schedule, for your energy levels. So this could look something like going to a monthly book club or organizing a weekly processing group for relationships or setting up some kind of a regular game night or attending someone else's game night or going to meetups that are on a certain subject that you're interested in, like photography or or art or, you know, whatever it is, just doing something so that you're exposing yourself to more opportunities for meeting friends. So I cannot for the life of me find this particular article. I tried and tried and tried as I was writing this episode. I read it A few months ago, it was on a place you would not expect, like Business Insider or something like that. But (laughs) Uh it was an article about making new friends. And I really resonated with the formula. The formula stuck in my mind. My apologies that I can't find the source. If, If somebody hears this and they totally know where it's from, definitely hit me up and let me know. But their formula for making new friends was four stages. 
One was to connect to a community. So that can be anything, particular hobby, a class, a meetup group, a processing group, things like that. And in addition to connecting to the community, participating in that community consistently. So that means showing up on a somewhat consistent basis, you know, not just once here and once there. And then the third step was offering value when you do participate. And by offering value, they meant that's everything from I'll bring the snacks to just speaking up, like actually participating, you know, like getting into conversation, contributing to the discussion, sharing your thoughts. And they also pointed out that ironically, and I think this this ties into what you were observing, Jace, that even asking for help from someone or asking for a favor from someone can offer the value of making others feel like they're valuable to you, right? That, that mm-hmm. they can help yeah. you or that yeah. they can step up for you in some way. So that could be another way of even offering value when you participate. And then the last step was then connect with the individuals that you resonate with. You know, so like you find the people in the community that you're getting along with or that seem like they could be good friends or maybe you have enough of a shared interest. And then you can find ways to connect with those individuals outside of that community space, perhaps. And so a good formula for this is you talk to someone and you're like, okay, I loved that conversation we had last Friday about backyard composting. Like, How about let's go grab a beer? And then like, I would really love to swap some tips about urban farming or whatever it is that you're into. <laughs> you know, so again, a little bit of that like, hey, yeah, let's actually meet and then here's a topic of discussion for us and then we can use that as an opportunity to also continue to get to know each other better. And sometimes this makes people feel weird because they're like, this is like asking someone out on a date. And on one hand, it kind of is in the sense that you're being intentional in bringing people <laughs> into your life. And we normally only associate that intentionality with dating and not with making friends. Of course, you know, you have to be careful sometimes coming on in this way. People interpret it as like, oh, you're trying to ask me out on a date or stuff like that, you know? So read the situation, read the room, do things to be, communicate clearly to make sure that your intentions are not misperceived. But I found that this was a great formula. Again, just a place to start if you're thinking about wanting to get new friends. And I know what I'm going to do is I'm definitely going to have this new yacht fisherman friend pretty soon right. here. <laughs> now, let us know how that goes so that we can yeah. also enter the yacht. Unfortunately, <laughs> I looked at the area code and it's a North Alabama area code, which okay, is not close mind. to where I never am. Right. So that might be a little bit tough, but the friendship that could have been. Yeah. Well, yeah. We'll never know. It's all right. Yeah. And that's, you know what? And it's a great example too of having some kind of event going on and inviting someone to it which can take some of that pressure off of a just, hey, do you and I want to go get a drink and talk about this? Right. It's, oh, hey, you know what? I'm going to this uh, like food festival in my neighborhood. If you want to come check it out, I'm, I'm inviting some friends and you know, I'll see who shows up. So you know, there's, there's things you can do to take the pressure off of it if, if you're concerned about that. All right. So our question of the week for all of you is, how do you take care of your friendships? We'd love to get tips from all of you out there about what are things you do to help maintain those relationships. We're going to post that on our Instagram story this week. Also, if you want to talk about this more, the best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is the episode discussion channel in our Discord server, or you can post in our private Facebook group. You can get access to these groups and join our amazing community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. 
Multiamory is created and produced by Emily Matlack, Dedeker Winston, and me, Jace Lindgren. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanera. This episode was researched by M. Mays. Our production assistants are Rachel Shenowark and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.